I'm really excited to dig into this text because of the uh, challenges that it sets before us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then let's watch God do His work, shall we? Pray with me, would you? Lord, I want to thank you so much for the beauty of your word. I want to thank you for the sweet grace that you've given us, the power that you've shown. And Lord, I just pray tonight that you would speak exactly what you want to speak, exactly how you want to speak it, and let our hearts and our minds and our ears and every bit of us be ready to receive from you what you want to tell us today. And Lord, let it be that whatever changes need to be made tonight, we wouldn't just agree with something in ideal or in concept or theory, but that tonight, Lord, you would bring about permanent change in our lives in such a way that we would find ourselves overwhelmed at your goodness in awe of your power and being able to honestly say you are all we need. So Lord, we commit ourselves to you. Fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit that you would do through me what what I can't do without you. Lord, please tonight, may we get it. And have so much fun in route. But Lord, let it just sincerely, really land tonight. And may we understand that the way you intend, Jesus, save, transform, equip, encourage tonight. Through the power of your Holy Spirit, through the vehicle of your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight as it would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Let the scriptures always have the final say. Read along with me here. Chapter 7, verse 1. Now concerning the things of which you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife, and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her, And likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But I say this as a concession, not as a commandment. For I wish that all men were, even as I myself... But each one has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows, it is good for them if they remain even as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, well, then let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn. Notice we read in italics with passion. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband. But even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And a husband is not to divorce his wife. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if a brother has a wife who doesn't believe and she's willing to live with him, well, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, the children would be unclean, but now they're holy. 
But if the unbeliever departs, well then let him depart. A brother or a sister is not under bondage in such cases. But God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But as God has distributed to each one, as the Lord has called each one, so let him walk. And so are ordained in all the churches. Was anyone called while circumcised? Well, then let him not become uncircumcised. Was anyone called while circumcised? Let him not be circumcised. See, circumcision really is, is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping the commandments of God, now that's what matters. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. You call while a slave? Well, then don't be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, well, then rather use it. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman, otherwise he who is called while free is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, let each one remain with God in the state in which he was called, concerning virgins. I have no commandment from the Lord, yet I give judgment as one whom the Lord in his mercy has made trustworthy. I suppose, therefore, that it is good because of the present distress that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, are you, are you bound to a wife? Well, don't seek to be loose. Are you loose from a wife? Don't seek a wife. But even if you do marry, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Nevertheless, she will have trouble in the flesh, and I would spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short, that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they didn't weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. Those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing. For the form of this world is passing away. And I want you to be without care. See, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares for the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Now there is a difference between a wife and a virgin. An unmarried woman cares about the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and in spirit. But she who is married cares about the things of this world, how she may please her husband. And this I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but what is proper, that you may serve the Lord without distraction. If any man thinks he's behaving improperly toward his virgin... If she, has, if she has passed the flower of her youth, and thus it must be, well, then let him do as he wishes. He does not sin. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he who stands steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but has power over his own will, and is so determined in his heart that he does not keep his virgin, or I'm sorry, that he will keep his virgin, does well. So then, he who gives her in marriage does well, and he who does not give her in marriage does even better. See, a wife is bound by law as long as her husband lives, but if her husband dies, she's at liberty to be married to whom she wishes, but only in the Lord. But she is happier if she remains as she is, according to my judgment, and I think I also have the Spirit of God. Rough enough to just read that? For some of you, is it encouraging? Chapter 7 begins the second section of this book. See, this guy had gone, this Paul had gone and planted a church about five years ago in the area of Corinth, an area known for its sexual looseness. Known, it was just, it was, it was San Francisco, it was Amsterdam, it was Las Vegas. It was the place where if you went to Corinth, people would have guessed you went there for the wrong reasons. And when Paul went and planted a church there, the church has a tendency to go pretty extreme in a place that's pretty extreme. 
Now, they can go extreme in either direction. In one case, they go hardcore legalism and everyone becomes Amish. They lock themselves in a cave and they have no interaction with anyone. On the other side of it, there's the church that sort of swings any way it wants to and really throws the Bible out completely and says, you know, just do whatever you want, God will forgive you. When Paul planted the church, he was there for a year and a half, and he'd spent a lot of time with these people. He'd laid some serious ground rules down as Scripture laid it out. And then Paul left. Paul made clear, apparently from the beginning, that he wasn't going to be there forever. And so as he went, he kind of went, and he did his thing, and saw the church raised up, and elders there, and then off he went. He's now on the next mission trip. On this mission trip now, he is in Ephesus, and he writes to the church because it seems that he's gotten a sort of report card from them. There's been three guys, Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, three guys drop by. For the letter, it seems to be from Chloe's household. And it says, look at Paul. There's, there's these concerns we have in our church. People are suing each other. It's like sexual, you know, licentiousness is rampant and people are proud of it. You know, and there's crazy stuff happening. People are like, you know, some people are like on the Paul camp and some are like on the Apollos camp, you know. And they're all so big and, and it's just the, the church is such a mess. And then he says, you know, and then the letter kind of would go on to say, and, and we have some questions. We, we were sitting around as a church, and we were kind of like, hey, if we really are Christians, what about? So Paul, first of all, could you deal with the problems of the church? Because I think they'll hear from you, because it doesn't seem like they're really listening to the elders, unless the elders are part of the problem, which could very, very likely be the case. And then he says, hey, so... Um, if you said something, if you wrote something, there's a bound to listen to you. So Paul writes, and he writes in the first six chapters, and he says, you guys are carnal. You guys just look like a fleshly church. You don't look like heaven. You look like hell. You're acting like it. It's messed up. The church has turned into a three-ring circus. God never intended that. People come in, and they, they leave more confused, more hungry, more convinced that they don't need anything, and that you guys are a bunch of lunatics. So off they went. But then starting in chapter 7, Paul starts answering the questions. And by the way, he talks about how to deal with that type of vagrant carnality. But in chapter 7, notice it starts with, now concerning the things you wrote to me. Do you see that? What that tells us is now it's like, ask Pastor Paul. First question for Pastor Paul. And notice what the first question is. Hey, Paul, what about sex? Is that, I mean, you, can you believe we talk about this in church? Of course we do. We go straight through scripture. You can't avoid anything. But please, let's start with this. The church got the idea that if they got saved by Jesus Christ, every area of their life was going to be changed. It wasn't like, Jesus, you could save me from going to hell, but don't touch my vibe, don't touch my style, don't touch my, my swag, don't touch my, the way I look at girls, don't touch my dreams, don't touch my ambitions, don't touch my priorities. You can't do that and call Him Lord. The cool thing about the church, here's the crazy thing, as messed up as this church was, spiritual gifts become like a circus. People are getting drunk when they're having communion. A guy sleeping with his mom in the church applauds their tolerance. And yet, even as messed up and wonky as this church is, they still sit around and say, well, hey, if we're really saved and the Lord is coming back, what about this? Could you imagine? Now, 
In the book of Galatians, Paul gives a bit of his own testimony when he talks about what happened after he got saved. After he met Jesus in the way. If you don't know what saved means, it's really simple. We are all on a boat to hell unless Jesus saved us. We are born sinners, bent on our own destruction. And in the wage of that sin is death. Okay, so what we've done. It doesn't matter who you are. Try to say you're a good guy in front of a God who demands perfection. And say, I'm not that bad. God says, you're not that bad. You're also not that good. Here's the good news. God doesn't want to punish you because He's already punished His Son for your sins. You'd say, why would God do that? Because God doesn't want to send you to hell. And so God volunteered to die on a cross so all of our sins could be paid. And He paid for yours too. It doesn't matter what it was, He paid for it. Died on the cross, rose again on the third day to prove it was enough and offer you a new life. And then He puts the choice in your lap. And He says, now what are you going to do with that? The check is there, it's signed, are you going to cash it? The winning lottery ticket is there in your hand. Are you going to go and bring it in or not? Because you're not rich until you cash it in. And there are a lot of people who can tell you the gospel and actually haven't personally cashed it in themselves. If you've accepted that gift, if you're willing to confess Jesus, yes, you know what? Please, if you're willing to pay the debt, be my guest. Take it. But I also surrender my life to you and make you my Lord. Well, if you're willing to do that tonight, He's willing to save you. The moment that that happens, God starts you on a journey to transform you. And what Paul says in Galatians is that after that happened to him, he went away to Arabia. We don't read it in the book of Acts, but we do read it in Galatians. Why is it in the book of Acts? Because not a lot happened there. So what did Paul do in Arabia? He sat down and he said, Jesus, since you are real... How does that now relate to the way that I view marriage? How does that relate to the way I view girls? How does that relate to the way that I view success? How does that relate to my priorities? How does that relate to the way I treat my homies? How does that relate to the way that I think hanging out should be? How does it relate to what I look at on my internet? What is, how does that relate to the way that, to the movies I watch? How does that relate to the things that I listen to? Because everything, everything changes. You want to watch a marriage in crisis? That's the way it happens. Two people get married and they say, I give you my all, but all is an all. And they're like, there are other areas, and there are areas that really don't belong, and to be honest, they just take it anyways. They say, deal with it. Now understand, this is what I thought before I was married. I thought, let's say that this was me and this was my wife-to-be. What would happen is, is that, you know, we would say, I do, and then we'd go like this, and you're like, she'd be like red, and I'd be like blue, and we would just start keep moving and merging until we'd become one beautiful purple circle. But what I've learned is actually we went like this, and there was about that much that happened, and then God carved away all the rest because it didn't belong. And I thought the same thing would happen with the Lord. That's all right, Lord, I'm just going to come on in and just bless me and make my life better. And God was like this, and he's like, you know what? We're going to get rid of all that because we're going to do a rebuild here. And the material you have right now on the structure of your life will not hold up the cathedral I'm going to build your life to be. And so when Paul sits down in Arabia, it's like, wow, Jesus, you're real. You're really risen. You really died. You really rose. What in the world, how does my life now relate to that? We use this term here, and now you get it with us, called Arabia time. You watch some, hey, look at it. When I got saved, I was 19. I was a 19-year-old sinner, and I, was, I had a PhD in being a jerk. 
But I was a baby in Christ. And I was wondering why it was I was still finding myself fighting, because that was kind of my vice more than anything. I loved to fight. I'd studied martial arts most of my life. Fighting was kind of part of what I did. I'm like, hmm, this doesn't seem right. Until the Lord said, let's sit down and talk, boy. We had our Arabia time. Now understand, this church is trying to do that. Have you done that? Have you done that in regards to what a relationship should look like? Have you done that in regards to what money should look like? What success should look like? What priority should look like? What's really important to have or not have when you die? If not, I think we're all set for a course on Arabia time. This is what this church is doing. And the church sits down and goes, you know what? We've, we've got some questions, Pastor Paul. We've got some questions about, hey, is it okay to marry? Or is it not? I mean, is it okay? You know, I mean, and what about like dating, casual dating? What's that like? You know, is that okay? Should we do that? Should we not do that? Well, what about this? I mean, there's this gal in our church and she marries, you know, they've been married and then she got saved, but the guy's like not saved. Could she leave him? Well, what do you think about that, Paul? And there's this guy, and he's like, you know, he was, he was a servant. He was a servant to somebody, but then he got saved, and he's like, I'm a brand new creation. I don't have to serve anymore. Well, what about that? Now, did you notice in this chapter, there are times when he says, you know, this is flat out what the Lord says, and the other times he's like, you know, this is my opinion. Did you notice that? Don't you, aren't you thankful for people like that? I mean, there are some people that everything they say they think is the Word of God. Have you noticed that? It's like, you know, you're at, the, you're at the subway, and they're like, Thus says the Lord! Get the Italian sub! And if, like, you're sinning, if you get, like, the meatball sandwich. And you're like, wow, really? And I love that Paul sits down and goes, You know what, this is where I have clear scripture. And here are areas that I could say, You know what, this is kind of my judgment call on it. Hey, you know, hey, look at it. I want to make clear because Scripture is Scripture and we don't argue with it. The areas that are like my judgment, you can kind of, you know, there's room there, but at least I think I have the Spirit of the Lord in this. I think you should consider it. But after all, they're asking him, so he has a right to answer, right? So look at it with me. First of all, he says, Now, concerning the things that you wrote to me, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, understand, here's the idea. First of all, God has no room for players. There is no room for, and by the way, this plays on both sides. You know, especially in a culture we're in, I mean, pardon me for saying, back when I was a kid, if a girl was kind of like loose, it was kind of like the rare thing and there was kind of a disgrace. Now girls brag over how many boys they have in like secondary school when they enter into it. Thank you, Disney and others. It's like, look at it. Understand, you are not going to get ripped off if you, can I just say it? You are not going to get ripped off if you die a virgin. If you die a virgin because you died single. In other words, please understand, for everything that sounds so amazing right now, how do you know it's amazing if you've never done it? Because it's been sold to you at every corner. I mean, it sells everything. It sells soda. It sells butter. It sells holidays. It sells vacations. It sells whatever it is. Buy this Jaguar. 
And you'll have every girl crawling in. You know, and it's like, and they know they play on this. And what's funny is we actually almost believe it. I mean, it's like some fat slob, pardon me for saying it, he's sitting there, he's got like the wife beater tanked up, his belly's hanging over, he's got that Dunlop disease, you know, where the belly Dunlop over his belt. And he's sitting there on the couch in, a, in a, some commercial, and he cracks open a beer, and like girls in bikinis pop out of the television set. Now, why do you think they do that? Because there's some guy that even if he says that's ridiculous, he's still going to buy the beer hoping. So you now concerning the things you wrote to me, look at If you can keep hands off, keep hands off. But let me warn you something. Let me warn you something. Let me warn you something. If some guy, ladies, says to you, you he needs to marry you because he can't control himself, and then he marries you, and the hot thing starts to work beside him in the office, do you have confidence he's going to be able to control himself with her? But guys play that, don't they? Because it was better to marry than to burn. How about hand it over to the Lord first? And by the way, that plays both ways. You know that, ladies. So look at, he says, but nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, notice it doesn't say, let a man have a handful of wives or anyone he wants. He says, look at God, this is, this is my prescription. If that's where you're at and hormones are raging and you know that this is something that's going to need to be met, well then listen, a man gets one wife. So look at if you cannot tame yourself, by the way, that's the power of God, because part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And you think marriage is going to solve the problem when you've been looking at pornography, which is a different girl every three minutes or whatever the case is? You really think marriage is going to solve that? Didn't work for Solomon, and he had a thousand women in his house. So he's like, look at though. If that is something that clearly becomes on the forefront, it's on the front hob, it is not a sin to marry. But you marry one person. So choose wisely. Let a man have his own wife. Let a wife have her own husband. No other, no other prescription, by the way, does he put here. And then he says in verse 3, Let the husband render his wife the affection due her, and also the wife her husband. The wife does not have authority of her own body, the husband does. Likewise, the husband doesn't have authority over his own body. The wife does. Don't deprive each other, except for with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. And then come together again so that Satan doesn't tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now understand, this doesn't mean that every person that gets married is because they want to have sex. As a matter of fact, the, the way that God intended relationships is that every appetite was supposed to be, in its simplest and core sense, to be honest, that it would be a desire to be intimate, not just a desire to have sex. What God created for you to be with Him and the idea is that everything should come, every relationship should come then from a state of overflow, not from a state of need. Otherwise, what happens is you start sizing people up to meet the need instead of handing it over to the Lord to let Him give you the overflow. And that becomes the problem. Now understand in this, what if couples actually did this? Here's the idea. The, the, couples, the, married, the couple's married, uh, and you're like, well, I'm single. Sit tight, it's going to come here. But it's like the, the couple's married, and what happens is someone in the te- in the, on, the, on one side of the marriage or the other wants to use this whole thing. They're a little less into the whole sexual relationship than the other side is. So what happens is it becomes a tool for leverage. We'll say, mm-mm-mm, you ain't getting near me. Mm-mm. You ain't getting near me. And it's like, wait a minute. This is what God says here. It's like, you guys want to try to deprive it. It has to be mutual consent and don't even eat until you come back together. That's gonna. That's actually great encouragement because sooner or later, you're going to get hungry. And it's like, that's the point. 
He's like, are you just like saying, my body, my choice. God says, no, actually, when you say I do, you hand the rights over. But understand, God's setting up marriage is supposed to be a prototype, if you will, for our relationship with God. Your, your body doesn't belong to you from the beginning, because if you handed yourself over to Jesus, it's his body anyways. And the problem is we'll do that with God. God, it's my body. I could do what I want with it. And God's like, it's not. I, you were bought with a price. It's in the chapter. So it's like, look, at there is no room for this whole like banter of my body, you can't go near me stuff in Scripture. You hand, it, you hand yourself over. But listen, ladies, this doesn't mean one body part. It means all body parts. So maybe what you want is your husband's eyes and his ears and his heart. So still parts of the body that are yours too. Does that make sense? Because every other guy's like, hey, look, at, I want that particular body part. And the wife would be like, well, I want my particular body parts. And in the end of it all, it's like, look, at, when you hand yourself over, the whole desire here is for the two of you to become one. The same when we hand ourselves over to the Lord, that's the point. Mutual consent, give yourself to fasting, give yourself to prayer, and have a designated time. Now notice in verse 6, he says, I say this as a concession, not a commandment. Sunginosko. In other words, I'm not telling you this is, the, this is a commandment from God in this. He's saying, look at it. You're going to be married. This is my best judgment on it. Now I wish all men were even as myself. Now what is Paul's gift? Singleness. Here's the irony is that Paul was a religious leader. He was part of the religious ruling party. And for that to happen, he had to be at least 34 and he had to be married. You could not rule in the religious ruling party of the day without being married. So where in the world is Paul's wife? Fairly likely she bailed on him once he gave his life to Jesus. Very likely. And then that now Paul's like, you know what? I'm not getting married again. And you know why? Paul's like, I'll be honest, I don't have time. He's like, you know, and that's my gift. Now here's the danger, beloved. Please hear me. Paul saw his singleness as a gift. And I'll say by the end of this, why? The question you may ask is, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? If you're single right now, right now you do. Happy gifting. But it'll stay here towards the end. That when it comes down to it, you have a better advantage than I do. Because I cannot place my heart entirely on the Lord as much as I'd like to. There's a part of me that always has to keep my eye on my wife and children to make sure that I'm taking care of them the way I'm supposed to as a husband, as a father. Everything in yours can belong to the Lord in that sense. Now, granted, I hand it all over to the Lord for that purpose, but that's what he'll say is that there's a division in your intent because you've got to watch out for both. You don't. Hey, you know, when the Lord told me before I was married, hey, you can go to this place and leave and just get up and go, piece of cake, right? There was nobody there. You cut the cords and you run. Think about how many of you that could do that, could do that right now. If the Lord said, calling you to Africa, boom, I'd like you there. I want you in wherever it be. I'm going to send you to China. I'm going to send you to Japan. I'm going to send you to Brixton. You don't have to call anyone and go, um, honey, the Lord's calling us. Right? When the Lord called us to London, by God's grace, my wife and children were all in China on a mission trip. I was here. But it wasn't like I could be like, well, you know, we're going. 
I'll just move all my stuff and wait for my family to find out. That's the call you have to make. All right, Lord, make this call easy. Honey, the Lord's calling us to London. By God's grace, he confirmed it easily. My wife, who doesn't really isn't very fond of when I move the couch, she's not a big fan of change, just said, I don't even need to see it. If the Lord's calling us, let's go. But there's that division of heart. Paul says, I wish everyone had mine. I mean, Paul's like, could you imagine if we had a church full of people that were really single and thought it was the gift it really is? Boy, I can't wait till. I mean, think about it. I mean, we've got a 16-year-old girl in our house. She's a daughter, by the way. And there are times where, you know, she's a classic 16. So there are times like, oh, I just can't wait till I'm older and I'm like doing things on my own. And, because like right now, she has the gift of a family house. Right? Now there'll be a time she'll move out. And when she does move out, she'll get, to, she'll get to make more decisions. She'll have to pay her bills. She'll actually have to get up to go to work. That kind of thing. And she will have new freedoms. New benefits. But she'll also have a lot of other things she'll leave behind when she leaves our house. If some crazy person comes to the door, there's not going to be this big old fat guy that's going to go and take them down at the door before they get to work. I think. And there are benefits on both sides. But could you imagine as a father, if all I heard from my daughter was, man, I can't wait to get out of this house, how that would break my heart. Man, I can't wait until I really put my heart somewhere else. But single people, can I say, it can sound like that to the Lord sometimes? Boy, I can't wait till I divide my heart with someone else from you, Lord. I'm not trying to throw out some heavy guilt trip. But be careful. Now here it says, Paul says, Look, I wish that everyone had that same thing as I myself have that own gift. But everyone has different gifts. Now to the unmarried, verse 8, and to the widows, I say it's good to remain even as I am. But if you can't exercise self-control, then it's better to marry. So it's okay to marry. To the married, don't listen. You're not allowed to leave. A wife is not to depart from her husband. If she does, let her remain unmarried. Now understand, let's be honest, some people get separated, and the reason for getting separated is it's a very cowardly way to take the steps towards divorce to make it easier later. Now, there are some situations where someone needs to get out of the house. Someone's being violent, for instance, or there's some form of, you know, some form of law that's being broken, and you need to get out of the house because the police will probably arrest everyone in the house. Get out. But you don't do it for the purpose of bailing on the person and starting a new life with someone else. See, what God knows is He knows the effects of divorce more than we do. But let me ask you, how many of you here still have your mother and father married to each other. Raise your hand right now. Raise them high, would you please? And, you know, like they're still, and you'd say they're happily married. Okay, it looks to me, this is a church now, I'm looking here and I'm looking at probably about a fifth of the church. Would you agree? It's a fifth of the church. Take a look around. Okay, drop your hands, thank you. If I have it right, my parents were married and divorced six times to each other. Talk about commitment issues. It was a pretty crazy background. But this is what God says in Malachi 3. God says, I hate divorce. How many things in Scripture does God say He hates? He says, it covers you in violence. That's what it says. He says, you know, and you know what happens? You know who are the victims? 
Certainly the children. Don't you believe? Don't you agree? Because what happens, how many children you have to sit down with and think, if only I had been nicer, better, whatever, they have to deal with that weird, what part was my part? Hey, some of us, you know, some of you, it's like, I've never even known my dad or my mom. It was my mom's story. It's like, you want to chase your family tree? Some people, it's like, oh, I can chase it back 75 generations and all the way back to Adam or something. And it's like, what about you? I'm like, I'm not sure I know my grandpa. But God says, I hate what it does. I hate what it does. There was a guy, quick story, and we'll move on to the text. There was a guy, when we first moved to the central coast of California, we moved to a town of 900 people. Believe it or not, there's a few of those still in California, especially on the coast. And it was a very small place. The only place where people congregated was the local tavern. That's the pub in the area. Wild West kind of thing. And the guy that was sort of our big dope dealer in our area... The guy that I got to meet because I would just walk in front of it and share Jesus with people as they walked in and out. The bouncer would say, you, keep, you watch your back, preacher boy. And I'd say, Jesus has my back. Who's got yours, Holmes? And, and I remember one day sitting with this guy. You know, it's like you share the Lord, you share the gospel three times with him, and then you just keep loving on him and remind him there's a choice to be made. And, and this particular guy, you know, I got to sit with him and I was driving him mental. It was pretty obvious. Man, this guy was just having issues with me. And finally, it was like he was, he was in a rough situation with his wife and he asked if the two of them could come in for counseling. I thought, it'd be awesome. So I'm like, what's going on? And it's like, well, we throw each other, you know, out the window. We throw tables at each other. I'm like, excuse me? They're like, Ta- tables, you know. And you're trying to have that, like, pastor poker face, right? You're like, yeah, tables, right? Like, tables. Like, she throws a table at me. Yeah, she throws tables at me. And I thought, wow, okay, you guys are issues. Tell me about what your past is. Listen, this guy was raised in a Christian home. He went to a Christian school. And then his parents got divorced. And as his parents got divorced, you know what that means? Now he has to choose which side of the house he lives in, right? So he lived with his mom for a little while, and then he had to live with his dad for a little while. And his lad, his dad showed him how to shoot heroin. His dad showed him how to live on Twinkies, which is like Susie Cakes, that kind of thing. And it's, it, you know, it was, and it's like amazing what happened. And the guy transformed into this, this the person he was. By God's grace, by the way, through a series of events, um, he was in a situation now where he and his wife were like at really trying to kill each other. And so we sat and said, well, obviously the problem is you need to give your life back to Jesus, man. The man not only responded and gave his life back to Jesus and God healed their marriage, but he's now the senior pastor of the Calvary Chapel in Cambria. He's an amazing, and he's one of my best friends. He's an awesome, awesome guy. He's a cowboy. Imagine that. We're like the odd couple. I'm the city boy, he's the cowboy. And the reason I say that is, God can do that with anyone. But they wanted to get divorced. They were, they were so, they so wanted it. Praise God they didn't. Praise God they didn't. Now look, at if you hated what you saw, can you be the difference? I would rather you die single than die divorced. Now I'm not here to diss your past. I'm here to challenge your future. Is that fair enough? Any marriage that happens and that we're going to be a part of here in any way, we as a church want to go and stand. Let's face it, man, you, you're, you're fighting every cultural standard here, isn't it? Guys get stripes for cheating on their wife. Girls get like kudos for being out and being promiscuous. And I think we as a church family need to stand up for each other and encourage and love on families and love on, on couples and be there and challenge people to greatness in Christ. 
We, we, we personally were responsible for seeing over, for at least 200, 300 people, couples married. And when we left, we hadn't seen a single divorce by the time we left. And it was just a pretty crazy thing. And part of it was how amazing the infrastructure there was for people to challenge each other to, hey, you know, that stuff's normal now. Let's, let's move forward. Let's be men. Now, Paul is looking, you're asking my advice. Let me tell you my advice. Don't leave. Now, if you are, it is only for the purpose of being reconciled for something like safety. But to the rest, verse 12, if any brother has a wife who doesn't believe, that is not reason for you to kick her out of the house. Okay, so the girl's like, hey, then. She doesn't believe what I do. Well, I tell you what. You can't say, because, and this, by the way, there are, there are cults that do this. You can go in and be a married person. They go, but you're not part of our group because you're not part of our group. That person's an infidel, so they're instantly anathema. We don't have anything to do with it. You can marry a girl in our church. And some people use that as like the bait on a hook to, to get people into their church. God's like, hey, it doesn't play that way. No, look at it. It's like husband's not to divorce the wife. The wife is not to divorce the husband. God hates it. But to the rest, I, not the Lord, say, if any brother has a wife who doesn't believe and she's willing to live with him, don't divorce her. The woman who has a husband and doesn't believe, if he's willing to live with her, let him not divorce him. Let her not divorce him. And then we have this strange verse. Isn't that a weird verse, verse 14? The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Sanctified for what? Remember the word sanctified, which, by the way, it was even used in 1 Corinthians 1-2 when it said the church of God, which is a Corinth, to those who were sanctified in Christ Jesus. The word means to be set apart for purpose. He goes, here's the crazy part. You may be living with an unbeliever. You love Jesus. They don't love Jesus. But they're still set apart in that house. They're set apart to be your spouse. And the children know it. And the children get to see how a believer reacts to somebody who doesn't like Jesus. You'd go, that's a really rough road. Yeah, duh. It's going to be a very rough road. Unless that person gets saved. And most of the time they do. They do respond if we respond the way we're supposed to. But here becomes the problem. The moment you say, get out of what anything to do with you. You're a rotten. You're an unbeliever. Get out. What happens then is the kids have to spend part of the time there and the part of the time with you. And which one's going to look more fun to a kid? You know the unbeliever is going to use that as their bait. And they're going to go, check it out, what you can do here. Come on, let's crack open a couple beers and let's get some girls. And, let's, you know, it's like, and the young son's looking, he's going, wow, mom's really, no wonder why you left her, dad. Man, it works. And when you get them, is you get kids addicted to things that they would never have even tried if the two of them were still together. Guy goes, you know what? Right now the kids are holy because in that house right now, as much as you're putting up with it, right now in that house, those kids are still there. And they're there all the time. And they may see dad acting stupid and mom on her knees, or mom acting stupid and dad on his knees. But they get to see a Christian all the time. And they get to see how you trust even beyond it. Listen, ladies. First Peter chapter 3. It tells us, listen, the wives be submissive to your husbands in attitude. And he says, but even if some do not believe or are not obedient, that they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe their chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Women win without words. And they win by trusting in Christ. Verse 15 says, but now look, here's the other deal of it. If the unbeliever departs, well then let him go. You're not under bondage. And you're like, look, how do you know if you're going to save the person? That's the truth be told in it. 
Now, hear me out on this. This is not, and if you're anything like me, there's a part of you that starts conniving. You're married to an unbeliever and you think, I'm just going to be like playing Billy Graham and organ music for like the next, for 24-7. They're going to go to sleep to preaching. They're going to wake up to preaching. And the purpose wasn't even to save them. It's just to get them out of the house. You know what I'm going to do at night? I'm going to take all their beer bottles. I'm going to break them over their head. You know, it's like, you know what? Pray and let God do it. And you got to give God the space to do what he needs. I mean, praise God he didn't do that to you, probably. He goes, but if that person leaves, let them leave. And there are times, and understand, it's still God who knows how to work this. And there are times where the Lord's like, you know what, this person's never going to say yes, but that doesn't mean the kids aren't going to learn from this. The neighbors aren't going to learn from this. The family's not going to learn from this. One of my heroes of the faith was a gal named Dorothy from Chico. An amazing girl, husband, unrepentant for nine years, acted like he was just a jerk, man. I wanted to beat him up, but I praise God I didn't. I was younger in the faith then. But man, the way that she stayed on her knees and trusted the Lord, and you'd say, man, he was like a she was like a doormat. You know what? Every one of that guy's family got saved because she actually stayed who she was. And she's like, Lord, I just want you to use me at whatever cost. And God says, whatever cost, huh? That guy finally repented on his deathbed. Cried and cried and cried and says, what a jerk I've been. And you know, if it had been, you know, been like, yep. And she's like, you know what? Jesus forgave me. He'll forgive you too. And the only person that could lead that man to the Lord was his wife. She was the only one that he went, you know what? You clearly possess something supernatural and superhuman here. But with that in mind, listen. No matter how you're called, find Christ in it if you can. Lord's looking, if you were raised in a religious environment, stay there if you will, but be used. If not, go. But use your freedom. Use the place you're at. People are always so busy trying to get out of the thing to find the next thing. And the Lord's like, look at I know how to call you out. I know how to bring you into the next season. And if you aren't getting any information, maybe it's because you shouldn't be going anywhere yet. And you say, Lord, do I go here or do I go there? And you're like, cricket, cricket, cricket. I don't hear anything. Why? God's like, because the two choices he gave me is go here or go there. Stay wasn't an option. So the only thing God has left to do is to be silent. God's like, you know what? Even silence is an answer. So likewise, he was called as free, who is called while free is still Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. That's verse 23. Don't become slaves of men. Let each one remain with God in the state he was called. Now, let's get to this last point, verse 25. Concerning virgins. And understand, in this particular culture, remember, girls didn't go to university. Now, that doesn't, like, God's not dissonant. But the idea is simple. And that is that a girl lived in her household until she married someone, was the idea. Or she went and lived with another relative. So it's like, okay, like, you know what? Hey, you know what? If you actually, Christ is enough, don't, be, don't feel like you're a mutant. This should be one place where you're like, you know what? Christ is, supposed to be, Christ is supposed to be enough for every one of us, regardless of where you're at. And don't you for a moment think that marriage is going to solve whatever you think you need? Because the loneliest people I've ever met are people who are married, who thought somehow their spouse was going to fill what only Christ could fill. Here's like it. I have no commandment, but this one, let me make sure you know it's from the Lord. It says, I have no commandment, sorry, in this case, I have no commandment from the Lord, but in this case, I'm just going to give judgment. I'm going to tell you this is my best judgment on it. 
It's good because of the present distress. It's good for a man to remain as he is. Hey, are you married? Don't try to get unmarried. Notice verse 27 where it says, Are you loosed from a wife? Don't seek a wife. Think about that advice, ladies. Think about that advice, man. He says, you know what? Don't spend your whole life pursuing what you don't have when what you do have is supposed to be enough with Christ. But even if you don't, even if you do marry, you haven't sinned. If a virgin marries, she hasn't sinned, nevertheless. I would rather spare you of the trouble. Imagine Paul was married. And I'd rather spare you of the trouble of marriage. But here's the problem. The time is short. And there are people who recognize Christ could come back at any given second. And when he does, I guarantee you the biggest issue is, I wish that I'd gone on five more dates. Look at, when the Lord comes back, I just want to be able to say that I loved you guys for real. I love my family for real. I preached Christ the way I should. For the form of this world is passing away and I want you to be without care. So he was unmarried. Look at it. All you have to do is want to please the Lord. He was married, you want to please the Lord, and you want to please your wife or your husband. So there is the singleness of heart. For any one of you who are single, you could be single of heart with Christ. If you're married, well, you got both sides. You've got to keep one eye on each. No, look at verse 35. It says, I say this for your own profit. I don't want to put a leash on you. I just want you to serve the Lord without distraction. And there is the point. The question is, what is the greater distraction? Hey, look, at if you can serve the Lord and there's no great distraction to serving the Lord that way, well, then you should serve the Lord without getting married. That's what he's saying. If being single is such a distraction that you can't even serve the Lord anyways in singleness of heart, well, then you should get married. And you're like, well, what happens if I don't have anybody to marry? Well, then you should stay single until he gives you the right one. He says, don't go looking for it. Because here's the problem. If you go looking for someone, you will find them. But God doesn't want you to have someone. He wants you to have the right one. You hear, see the difference? Dogs chase cars because they move. Not because it's the right car. And you watch people. I've been in churches. Like The first church that I went to after I was saved was like literally the model church. It's where the models went to church. And it was like, they would be like, we, you know, like, we just want to lift our hands you know, and it's like always the guy that thinks he's got the great voice, but he's like Pavarotti, right? And so he's like checking out, and the girl's like, oh, oh, oh. and almost it's like the room rattles with his voice because she came in. I was like, oh, she came in again, didn't she? And it's like the Lord's like, that was a really great show, but I wasn't even your audience. I was like observing you guys playing around with each other. Please understand, we sing beloved because here's the good news. God is a single focus and it's you. Isn't that beautiful? It isn't like the Lord looks at you and he's got like aliens on Jupiter that he's got also. The bottom line is we're it. We're the object of his, we're the apple of his eye, we're the object of his affection. We are the deal. We are the whole crumble and the custard as well. It's everything he wants. And we go, yeah, I got you, but what else can I have? Who else can I bring into this? You know, if you've ever gone out with somebody, or currently are, and they are in a situation where all of their past still is really fresh to them, it's like you feel like you're going out with them and their five ex-boyfriends. You're like, you know, there's no room for me in that heart right now because you're still dancing around with all those other bozos. 
But imagine if it was like, you know what? Well, I'm, I'm going out with you. I really care about you. But I'm still going to kind of bring a couple other guys into this relationship. And I'm thinking, what? I kind of doubt your sincerity, wouldn't you? It's like, you know what? You're my only one on Tuesday. Which one of you goes, oh, that's so beautiful. But we do that with him. Oh, God, you're my only one on Sunday for an hour. Because, man, there's a game on after. This is a match i got to go see. Now look at me. Last few verses, 36 on. If a man thinks he's behaving improperly, she's past the flower of her youth, which means she's marryable, legally marryable. He's not going to sin to marry her. But you know how he could sin? By acting improperly. So let me lay something out for you. Now understand you might say, well, Pastor Tony, you've been married for really long, but please hear me on this. Challenge me on this. Prove me wrong. This is how it seems to be in Scripture. So here it is, laid out for you. Commitment produces time, which creates intimacy. That's the way it works. God wants commitment first. And that was before the foundation of the world, God committed. Before you were even made, He committed. And from that commitment, He sought time with you. He paid the price, the sacrifice on the cross, and He gave time. Still offers time. And that time breeds intimacy. You don't feel close with God? Spend some time with Him. See what happens. That's the way it works. God, I don't feel close. God's like, how funny. I feel close as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm everywhere. How could you not be close to me? But this is the way the world works. Intimacy may get you some time, and if you do it right, maybe you'll get a commitment. Isn't that the way it works? It's the other way around. So what happens is, you're fooling around, and you don't even realize it, and you've been hanging out with the girl, you've been hanging out with that guy, and then comes that awkward DTR. Define the relationship. Where are we now? And you're like, what? We've just been all right, right? It's like a little kissing, a little handle, whatever, you know, or worse, whatever. Yeah, but like, are we like together? Because you were already intimate, and somehow you think now the time is going to get a commitment out of it? Have you ever heard it said, why buy the cow when you get the milk for free? And understand, if you're behaving improperly to a girl or to a guy, what you're doing is you are doing something that shouldn't be done, which, by the way, infrates upon even their honor. Please hear me, beloved. In this church, let's make it different. Love the person enough to protect their honor. You know what that means? Be careful. You're like, you know what? We're just going to live together. Be careful. Because whether you know it or not, it's the natural thing to assume you're having sex. Especially in this culture. Be careful. Love the person enough to protect their honor. And don't you dare buy or try the, but I just, you're just too beautiful, I can't control myself routine. And what that means is, y'all need some serious help. And it ain't going to be from the other person. If you think you're behaving improperly, then just get married. If they're legally ready, then just get married. And if not, behave yourself. That's what he says. And Paul says, look, this is, my, this is my judgment on the whole thing. You ready? Be like Christ to them. There you go. Try that. Because you know what? Nobody wants to marry a slut. Male or female. But you know the crazy thing is? I watched Christian guys 
let their girl be treated in such a way that it would be easy to assume she was one by their carelessness in not protecting their honor. If you committed first, and you go, well, how do I do that? Well, what if they turn out to be the wrong person? Well, then don't spend time alone with them until you discover. But I won't know until I'm alone with them. Really stop that. Stop. See what happens. You know what? You learn a lot by the way that a girl is with her friends, a way that a girl is with her dog or a cat, a way a girl is with her family. You learn a lot from that. But I guarantee you this. Same thing, ladies, with guys. Any guy can be Prince Charming on his steed by himself. Put him in the posse with the rest of his army, and it's amazing how all of a sudden he's a brand new guy. And here's the reason I say that. Is that Jesus is supposed to be enough for us so that when we turn to each other, it's supposed to actually make our lives more fruitful, not more distracted. And if it becomes more distracted, something seriously wrong is going on. Here's the good news. The Lord knows how to cover you with grace, but don't play grace like it's some form of magic dice. Because God knows when he's being played. God loves you, and he loves the people you're with, but please understand, you give your life to Christ, he is going to want to get you alone in Arabia and say, now let's talk about what it really means to have a relationship. My wife and I had to learn the hard way. We made some commitments, and we kept to just about every commitment we had made in regards to being careful. But there were some things we were too immature to actually really set up as boundaries. We didn't run off and have sex or any of that. But we still did things we regretted. And the bottom line is, is if I had thought about it, if somebody had told me this today, and I would have taken it seriously, I'd have no regrets. And to be honest, none of us would. If you're like, you know what? I'm going to love you as my sister, along with the rest of my sisters. And I'm going to pursue Christ. Because if I pursue Christ with all that I've got, and He keeps bringing you next to me, then I'm not going to have to slow down, am I? But if I've stopped pursuing Christ to pursue you, well, then i got issues. And what the Lord would really love is for me to keep my eyes on Christ. And you know what's so great? is by the grace of God, the more that I love God, the better I am with my wife. And the more that she loves Christ. Look at I can't say love me more. I say love him more. Can I just say that's that works for everything. You want to we want to be a better loving fellowship? I just want I don't want to get you to fall in love with each other first, but I want to get us all to fall in love with the Lord. Because when that happens, everything happens out of the overflow of that. So listen, let's wrap this thing up in a proper way. Pastor Paul, what about relationships? How does it really work? So let's put it in this. First of all, if you're all single, pursue Jesus and then let God do the work. Don't go chasing after someone. Let God do the work. If God puts them on your heart, by the way, do you know that my wife was the first girl I ever asked out? She said no, but ask her that story. Didn't say no forever, huh? Even in the same phone call, but it's another story. And I was being obedient, and I'm thankful for that. But I always knew I had the peace that I was following Jesus in it. So if you're single, treat it like a gift. Because if you do get married, you won't have this gift forever. And I guarantee you, I've heard a lot of married people look back at their singleness now and realize the gift it was now when they can't get it anymore and wish they had it. It's like the kid who's 15 or you know, the kid that's 10 and wishes they were 21 and the person that's 40 that wishes they were 10. If you're single, be married to Christ. Let him bring in whatever he wants to bring in.
But don't constantly keep your eye over your shoulder just in case Mr. or Miss Wright shows up. Because he's already should be in front of you. If you're married, pursue Christ with everything. And you know what happens out of that overflow? You'll love your husband or wife the way you should. Well, what if they're a jerk? Well, of course they're a jerk. We're all jerks. Is that a surprise to you? That you married a jerk? Hello. You married a human being. But pray and watch what God does. Don't be busy. And the whole thing doesn't sound like it. Stay where you're, stay where you're at and trust the Lord. Stop looking for the door. Married people, stop looking for the door. Single people, stop looking for the door. And let Christ be your own. As we pray, any of you behaving improperly, being careless, you know, let the Lord minister to you. Now, I'm not here to crawl into your grill. I'm here to just say that what happens in the world happens in the world. What happens in the church should be different. So you love on someone, but you realize they're not the one. And if you haven't committed and you haven't done anything stupid, you can actually, you don't, nobody has to leave church. Try to find another because of how awkward it is. Man, it would be so good if we were like that. Jesus made you his sole pursuit. Died on a cross because he was committed. And then says, I want time with you now. Can I have time with you so we can be one? Don't rob him of that. He deserves it. Pray with me, would you? Lord, I want to thank you so much for this text. I want to thank you for what you've done. I want to thank you, Lord, for the way that you minister. And Lord, we, we confess to you, Lord, this is a, this is a tough area. Because the world is so full of what they call freedom. But we, if we were honest, we looked, it's bondage. It's bondage in so many ways. So God, I just pray tonight for every one of us that you would set us free from what the world has programmed into us. We could get the Arabia time we need to see you. So Lord, for those who are single, I pray for them right now. That they could find their contentedness in you. For those who are married right now, I pray that they could find their contentedness in you. And if we find our contentedness in you, we won't be eyeing the door under any circumstance. We'll be trusting you. So for the single people, Lord, please, I pray that you give them the wisdom to pursue properly commitment to time, to intimacy. And that no intimacy should graduate beyond the level of commitment. And with that, Lord, I do pray that nobody would behave improperly and we would guard each other's honor. And in that same way, Lord, I pray for those that are married, that you don't let them eye the door either, but that they would commit. Human beings are a challenge. That's part of the joy, Lord, is seeing how you accomplish great things through such faulty things as us. But God, I pray today that you would just work your work in us. So Lord, please, let us be honor protectors. Let us be content in you. And let us grow where you plant us, Lord, and trust that you'll lead us. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you that you committed before we ever earned any of that. And Lord, you knew that we would say yes. And in knowing that we would say yes, Lord, you continue to pull us in and draw us and transform us. 
But Lord, there are those who would say no to you and you still loved on them. You washed Judas' feet. And I pray tonight, Lord, that, that every one of us here would recognize the choice we need to make to say yes to you. But to say yes to you isn't, yeah, there's yes to you, but then what else you got? Who are you going to bring into my life to fulfill me? Lord, let there never be said from anyone in this fellowship, Lord, ever, that somebody else is to complete us when we've given our life to you. Because to be saved by virtue of the word means to be made complete. So Lord, please let us all be complete in you. Let us challenge each other to that completion, Lord. That we would not be busy scoping out the world to see what's going to fulfill us when you're supposed to fulfill us. And you do. The irony is you're the only thing that quenches. The only thing that fulfills. And yet we're going to the world like Asian food that we're hungry every 15 minutes. When you satisfy terminally. But we refuse to go to you. Lord, let that be different tonight. And let the choice be made in every one of our hearts. Jesus, if you really did die on a cross for us to pay for our sin and rise again, well, then we want to say yes to you. That's just the simple truth of it. We want to say yes to your payment so we don't have to be punished for the thing that you chose to be punished for. But also, we know that there is a requirement to surrender to you as our Lord. So, Lord, here we are. And just like a husband and a wife then surrender themselves and say, I belong to you, to each other, we say to you, I belong to you. I am to be for your pleasure now. For you to use me in ways, Lord, that transform this world and touch lives and and, and become a blessing to others. So Jesus, have me completely as I surrender to you in your name. Amen. Lord, I just pray right now, if there be any in this room who have not said yes to you, or they're not sure they can walk out of here, sure, by the power of your Holy Spirit, show finally in this room. If you've not accepted that gift of Jesus Christ, as you've heard that prayer now, I'm going to pray this simple prayer and I ask you to listen. And if tonight you want to accept the gift of Jesus and truly find the fulfillment that only Christ can bring, I'm going to pray this prayer I ask you to listen. And at the end, I ask you to give a confident and resounding amen. And what you're saying is, I agree. Let that be my prayer. Let those words be my words. And here it is. All right, God, I come to you honestly and say, I'm not perfect. You know it. I know it. I need you. If you've paid for the price on the cross, then I accept your payment. I know that you love me. I know that you want me. You're committed to me. So thank you for dying on the cross for my punishment. Thank you for rising from the dead and giving me the opportunity for you to be my Lord. And so I surrender to you now. I may not understand everything, but if you really want to make a masterpiece of my life, then I say yes. I say yes to you now as I give myself over to you. I'm yours, in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I ask you to say, Amen.